All right, this is the Potter Cast with Darren Phillip in three, two, one. Welcome to the Pottercast. This edition, a buddy of mine, Darren Phillip, joins me. D, thanks for being on the Pottercast. Hot belly. Hey, thanks for having me, man. This is great. Well, if you know Darren Phillip, uh, you you know him from the fantasy baseball rap from years ago, the baseball rap. We do that podcast together. Um, and I thought I'd get him on the on the uh, Pottercast because Darren's more than just a fantasy guy, just a sports guy, just a baseball talking guy. Darren has a, a very interesting. Uh, sideline gig? Would you call it a sideline a hobby? A, a profession? Ex- what would ex- you call it? Expensive hobby. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're talking about uh, horse racing. <clears throat> Philip Racing, owned by Darren and Cindy Philip. They uh, get into the horse racing business. And I find it fascinating, Darren. I, I've asked you so many questions because I did not grow up anywhere near that world. And I have no idea about it. Some of the things we'll talk about when I first heard them, I was like, are, you're kidding they actually do that in that field but tell folks how you got like how did you get interested in horse racing and when did it become more than just i like to go to the races and throw a couple ducats on a race and into hey we should we should own some horses i got involved um actually as a kid we'd go to uh, arlington park in chicago which um just closed down because the bears are going to build a new stadium there but anyway nice. um yeah so we <laughs> we'd go there we'd go there once a year for uh, my grandma Phillip's birthday and just really got into it then. And then, um, then they had what was called the Railbird club. This is again, while I was still young and like it was what years se- were this? Was this the seventies, eighties, seventies? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mid late seventies. Yeah. And, um, so then there were, they had, what was the Railbird club, which was a Saturday morning, um, thing they'd offer to the public and they'd have coffee and donuts and then there'd be jockey they'd have a jockey or a trainer be a guest speaker and then you go you watch the horses work out in the morning and which was which was just great to begin with yeah. these animals out there just doing their works and stuff so um that's kind of how it how i got into it and then of course i was into i was in the secretariat i was following with it with that triple crown of course that was what year was that that was uh 73 so actually it was early 70s dude you um, were like six I was six and I was in, I was in, you remember ponies. that? You I don't remember. remember I don't remember the actually seeing the Belmont him winning by that much, but you know, I was just, anytime a racehorse appears on time magazine, you kind of take notice. And, uh, he was, he was on there and, and of course sports illustrated and stuff. And, um, yeah, it was just great. And then we had, we actually had a neighbor where I grew up. Um, he owned a race, he owned some racehorses, which I just thought was the, was really cool. Um, and I didn't really, um, yeah, I wasn't obviously <laughs> thinking about ownership back then, but, you know, <laughs> looking back on it, I thought it was just really cool to have, um, you know, a guy who owned it, owned, uh, owned a racehorse. And then the only way, I mean, this is how it got, you know, I would just kind of, I'd play bet and stop paper bet, yeah. but there was a, there was a show on every afternoon called today's racing on on a UHF channel in Chicago, channel 26. Wow. And they would show basically the first six or seven races from Arlington, the, uh, like the stretch runs. And then they had this old broken down horse player who hosted the show Ed Connaughton, and he would just talk about it. And hey, this is what we got. We're going to, we're going to go to, uh, 
the stretch run of the fourth race with the voice and the voice was Phil George F. He was the race caller at, uh, at Arlington park. He was the best one. I mean, he was just, he was so great. So, but I got a chance to see some cool races there. You know, John Henry won the uh, Arlington million that was back in 81. I think that was the very first Arlington million ever run spectacular bid. One of the all-time great racehorses ran a race there that we got to see in person. And, uh, so yeah, that's kind of how I got involved with it. And then, um, <laughs> and then another kind of a sidelight, I always being part of that and following that stuff. I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be, <laughs> Which a, is... I, wanted, I wanted to be a jockey. <laughs> and how tall are you? I'm a, almost six, three. So that didn't, <laughs> that didn't work out. What well, most jockeys are, I mean, they look like they're like four foot tall. Like how, how, what, what's a, what's a sweet spot for a jockey? Like five, five, one. Five two? Yeah, I'd say about that. Probably no no taller than once you start getting five, 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 six, you're a little bit too tall. But I'd say I'd yeah. say five, two, five, three. And the triple thing. crown, as you were talking about with Secretariat, that that's when a horse wins. And we'll tell everybody what that is. For some people listening have no idea what about anything about horse racing. They've heard of the triple crown, but what exactly is that? Well, it's the it's the um it's the the three jewels of the triple crown are the Kentucky Derby, which is run um of course, at Churchill Downs on the first Saturday in May. And then two weeks later is the Preakness Stakes, which is run at Pimlico Racecourse in um, in Maryland. And then the Belmont Stakes, they give an extra week in between that. So it's three weeks after the after the Preakness is the Belmont Stakes. And that's the longest of the races, a mile and a half. Different different type of track, too, more, more of a sandy surface. So it's really a true test. You know, the, the, uh, the horse that won the, the Derby this year, uh, Rich Strike was the 80 to one shot that came out of nowhere to win it. Well, they took the Preakness off. They didn't want to run there, but then they ran him at the Belmont, which I was kind of like, why would you do that? And he just didn't really do much because it was just a totally different, different racetrack and stuff. So, you know, it depends. Some horses yeah. prefer different surfaces to others too. So, um, so this is my biggest problem. Well, I don't know. I got a lot of problems with a lot of people, but this is my problem with horse racing. Yeah. You can have a horse that wins the Derby. <clears throat> And the Preakness, and then a horse that didn't run any of those just waits, 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 and enters like the Belmont or enters the Preakness and doesn't run the others and roasts everybody. And you got this yeah. horse who just ran like, like I feel like you should have to enter all of them. Like I, I agree, you, you're not allowed to yeah. race the last one. It'd be it'd be almost like, hey, um, you know the the <clears throat> the Suns are playing really good and they get up, you know, they, they win the championship. Like, Oh no, no, there's one more team you got to beat. And they haven't played in a while, you know? And it's like, wait yeah. a minute. I thought, you know, anyway, I don't, why do they do that? It, <clears throat> it's tough for the average, the casual fan too, because you get a horse that wins the first two. And even the casual fan goes, Oh my gosh, we might have one. And then some horse out of nowhere smokes them. And you're like, well, that's not fair. Well, I think part of it too, is that it's a, it's, it's a pretty grueling, grueling trail, even with the, because you're running prep races leading up to the Derby. You know, it's not like you're not yeah. running at all. You've got to, because you have to accumulate a certain amount of points. You get, there's, there's Derby prep races and you get a certain amount of points for, you know, depending on how much the race is worth, you know, for winning, coming in second, third, and fourth. And then they add up those points and it's the top 20 point getters that get into the, get into the Kentucky Derby because there's, there's basically, okay. 20 is the most you can have, but that's the, that's the race that everyone's going for. Everybody wants to run in the Derby. And, um, they used to do it by, by earnings in, in graded stakes and graded stakes races are just your tougher races, but you know, and I liked it better then because 
that would allow for maybe uh, a horse to come more out of nowhere. He didn't have to go specifically into the each of the Derby prep races. He could have been in some other races that were not, you know, part of the Derby right the Derby Trail. And so you'd get horses like mine that bird that came. Yeah, that was another fifty to one shot that came from out of nowhere to win a race. And now it's typically you're going to get, with the exception of this last year, you know that was kind of an aberration with Rich Strike, and he actually drew into the field just a, a couple of days before the race, because there was a, there was a scratch, there was a late scratch. So he was able, he was a, actually on the outside looking in and then they put him in the race and then he wins the race. Wow. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty much a, that was a fairy tale kind of story for yeah. those guys. But, um, so you grew up with this background and there was some nostalgia there. Cause you just enjoyed going to, you liked hearing the voice. You liked being there. You liked this old curmudgeonly guy who would give you the things. <laughs> when, when, when did you, I mean, so you, you stayed with it. But when did I'd you go to Turf Paradise, fan, you know, down, and when did you say, "Hey, we should, we should, we should buy a horse"? Well, we, Horses. my wife and I, um, we were, we were go to Turf Paradise. We went a few times while we were dating here, here in Phoenix, here in yeah. Phoenix, and then we got married, and then, um, you know, we just thought we were just looking at the, you know, we're at the track one day, and and we're like, maybe we should kind of look into some ownership. You know, this would be kind of, kind of interesting. Huh. And so at the time, I started looking around, and they're actually. There's a trainer at Turf Paradise. He had a, um, he was, I, I, I think I found him on Facebook. I just was starting to look around and uh, his name is Jeff Metz. He still trains and he was offering, he was saying, Hey, if you're interested in ownership, let me know. And, um, so we got involved with him and, and, um, that didn't last too long because Jeff was in California. So he'd kind of be back and forth and we didn't like the fact that he wasn't here all the time. Yeah. But he's still, he's, he's been a successful trainer. He's done a lot. Um, he's, he's won races at turf paradise. And then he's done a lot of his damage up in Washington state at Emerald downs. That's where he's had his most success. And he runs in California as well. Cause he still lives there as far as I know. So hmm. we got involved with him and then, then we kind of bounced around a, a couple other trainers there at, at turf paradise. And then we, um, you know, we got involved with the breeding aspect of it, which some of our retired mares. So you would send a mare to a stallion somewhere that where, you know, a particular farm. And we started in, in uh, California, I believe, was where we started first when we started doing our own breeding. And then we were just kind of all over the place. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it just we just thought, hey, we'll have our we'll have our babies and we're going to we're going to do great. This is going to be this is going to be awesome. But getting a baby from <laughs> the womb to the track is really, really difficult. You've, I mean, you've. <laughs> Well, you've got to, you've got to hope that there's no complications because, yeah, uh, you know, they say thoroughbreds are, are, they're pretty much crazy. They're, it's like they sit around thinking about ways to kill themselves during the day because they're always getting, you know, they'll run through fences. They'll just, they're just, they're, they're hot bloods, you know? And so, but they just do silly stuff. <clears throat> and so, or they can just, hmm. just have an injury. You know, we had one, um, that was in New York as a baby and, um, and he got kicked is what, what we were told, which was, was a likely, likely story when he was in, out to pasture, you know, the horses, they, the babies, they play around with each other and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And he got kicked in the shoulder and he never made it to the races. And this was, hmm. this was as he, you know, when he was a yearling, he was only a year old and it's too bad because he developed into a real nice looking horse, but we tried to bring him along. And, and, um, I think there was some acupuncture done, some stimulation done on the area. 
And it, but we, it just wasn't strong enough. It never got back to full strength. And we're just like, he's not going to hold up to the rigors of training. We're not going to put him out there and have a, some catastrophic thing happen because his, you know, he had some nerve damage in his shoulder. So we retired him and he's loving, loving life out in uh, Iowa at a horse sanctuary where we've retired a lot of our horses. So you, you, you have the babies. How long, how long does it take for the baby in a perfect world to be on the track? And then how long is the lifespan of a racehorse to race? <clears throat> the gestation period is 11 months for a, a horse. And, and then, then when they're born, they don't, they can't run until they're two, two years old. And of course, a lot of people don't, don't, don't know this either, but it's not the date that they're born is not really their birth date as far as how they figure in the horse racing business, January 1st is like the universal birthday for all thoroughbreds. Okay. So people try to get their horses maybe born as close as earlier in the year. That's, that's kind of, it, it doesn't always work out that way, but the later you wait in the year, the less mature of a horse you're going to have. For instance, if, if your horse is born in May, yeah, the following January, they're one already, even though they've been only been, alive for like seven months. So, and when you, when it, it, going back to the triple crown and the Kentucky Derby, those races are, you have to be, it's three years old only. They're only for three-year-olds and you, and they can be fillies that run too, the female horses. So, but, but once you, you basically a race horse has one shot to run for the triple crown because after they're, after they're, they've turned four, they can't do it anymore. So it's only one. So that's, that's what makes it so difficult to get into the starting gate because there are so many foals born. I don't know what the numbers are right now, but you know, once that horse turns three, he has a shot, but you know, if your yeah. horse isn't ready to run or if it's been hurt or whatever, then, you know, and, and that wasn't something really we looked at realistically as far as running in the, in the Derby. It was just, so it's funny. It, it's kind of like that, that 10,000 hours <laughs> book, you know, like they talked about how many of these guys like Gretzky was born where he was like the youngest always in every age category, right? He could barely, yeah. you know, or he was the oldest. I'm sorry. You know, do you want to get a guy like when school starts in August, his birthday's July 21st. Right. If you got somebody born July 21st and oh, I'm in, but somebody was born back in February or, or August of the last year, they're bigger and stronger than them. So ideally, if you could time it, you get a horse born January 2nd. January and it's racing against it's racing gets horses born in December of that, that year. Right. But they're, well, they're the, um, the latest you're going to have a horse born probably absolute latest would be early June because then the, then the breeding stops. They don't, they don't breed past June really, because if you breed a horse in June, they're going to be born the following May. So basically breeding season shuts down because you're not going to have a, they don't, don't want to born late. In the you, year. Don't, you don't want to born that oh, late. Gotcha, it's, gotcha. it's just way too late. Yeah. So, because it'd be the youngster racing against like people, or you were maybe a happier to a year older, more mature than them. Yeah, and or you'd have to wait longer until they mature till you get to yeah. that point. Yeah. So, oh, that's interesting. So past May is you're you're not going to really see that. I mean, maybe mid to latter latter part of May, but that would be the very latest. But you know, it's um, you know, there then there's the there are a lot of horses that are born. In fact, my wife and I were kind of looking at different while we were doing the breeding stuff, you know when is it our, our we, we were seeing that there are a lot of stakes horses that were born in may you know they maybe weren't ready mm. but then you just wait a little bit longer and you know we were kind of thinking i wonder if it's because maybe it's more natural the whole breeding process birth process because you know in, in certain times like during the winter if you're going to breed during the winter where 
the horses, the, the mares aren't on their regular cycles. You have to put them what, what's called put them under lights to kind of simulate daytime mm. when they're when, you know, during the whole breeding process. And it's just like, is that really that, you know, it's not natural, number one. But right. There's a lot of people have so many different theories when it comes to breeding. They look at all kinds of different things, you know, you know, uh, the pedigree. And this is big money. So oh, I'm sure people have tried every conceivable legal and illegal way to get an edge in this in this business. Right. And, and it has to be. And also the difference between thoroughbreds and let's say that, you know, the harness racers mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, which are called standard breds or quarter horses. Standard breads, I'm not sure, but quarter horses, you have to have a live cover for a thoroughbred. In other words, the, the, the stallion actually has to mount the mare, whereas with the quarter horses, you could, you could freeze the sperm. You could, you know, or you could, you, you wouldn't have to have a live cover. You can get the sperm, freeze it, and it could be from some, somebody else and then yeah. use that way. So, yeah. Oh, I got you. I got you. So Philip racing starts off with what one horse and then couple the horses height, at the height how many horses did you have at the height we were part we were part of like 21 horses did you own any of them outright oh yeah okay oh, yeah. but did Quite you have partial ownership in some partial ownership maybe in about oh maybe about four or five of them so we had a lot going and see that 21 it, yeah and then that didn't <laughs> that didn't last too yeah and after a while That's just a like, lot dude we've got a yeah, we've we've got to cut back. And the, the breeding is where it really costs the most because you're not only taking care of the baby, you're taking you've been taking care of the mare the whole time. And you still yeah. have the mare. So you're basically paying for two horses as far as board is concerned. So. And is that is it right? I mean, like, so so secretary, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, a horse wins these races, gets famous and they make a bunch of money, I'm sure, for their for their owners and trainers and especially if they're gambling on them and all that stuff. But do they really make the big bank? in uh, after they're done mm -hmm. racing when they're when they're you know siring oh, other horses is that where you, is is that why i mean you want to win races because that's a fun thing to do but the real money maker is afterwards if you have a champion right if you have a champion or if you're even if you're just the breeder you know we are we wanted to breed to race because the, that's the most fun mm -hmm. but a lot of times if you've got a mare that's been very that's done very well on the track and you breed her to a you know, a pretty successful stallion or one that was, that did fairly well on the track. And then you sell the baby as a yearling when it's born, you can make it, but you, you can make money that way. And then you're still the breeder. So you still get breeding awards wherever the horse is running. If it, let's say if you bred a New York, have a New York bred. Yeah. They offer, they offer additional incentives for breeders in like New York bred races and owners. If you're, if you're, if you're running the horse back in there in the state where they were born, as opposed to moving a New York horse to Kentucky or something huh. like that. Interesting. Yeah. So how many horses do you have now? Are you guys totally out? Do you still have horses that race? Do you just have horses that are like out to pasture? We've got one horse right now that's turned out, uh, meaning she's on a break and, um, okay. we may or may not be bringing her back. She's kind of had some behavioral issues for some reason. We're still trying to figure out if it's hormonal because it's, it's a, it's a mare. Um, and then we've got, um, we've got three retirees that are at a farm in Kentucky. So that's now, basically all we've got four total right now. If you look at expenses and revenue, retirees are not revenue generators, right? No, they're just all expenses. 
Yeah. At that phase. Well, and then you, then you, then you hope that the ones that you have running are, are going to, you know, not only pay for themselves, but pay it's for like them. social security, the <laughs> workers pay for the retirement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> right. That's a great way of looking at it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, um, I mean, so, so when you guys got into it, I, I guess I'll just ask you this blanket. Was it as much fun as you thought it would be? Or was it, I mean, is it just, it seems like an up and down thing and almost like owning a, a the same as owning a, a pro franchise. You got all these athletes, horses you got to deal with and they're different characters and keep them healthy and keep, you got all these trainers, you got all the, it's a lot of moving parts. Is it, is it fun? No, it's not. It's it, <laughs> I, no, I, I would never do it again. No. I mean, it had, it, it had its, it had its moments, but a lot of it, you know, okay, you're dealing with the horse and what's going on with that. And then you got to worry about as a jockey going to give you a good ride. They might screw something up. I mean, you could be all ready to go have, be your, have your horse in the right spot and then have the jockey may come make some dumb move. And, you know, granted they're on an animal that's going 35, 40 miles an hour and they have to make split second decisions. Yeah. But sometimes, and then dealing with the trainers is a whole different thing too, especially when you're out of state. And a lot of our horses were running out of state and I'm on the phone. You don't know if you're getting this, the, the true story about things. And then, you know, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough business. And there's, there's an adage. If you want to be, if you want to, um, how does it go? Oh, you want to make, you want to be a million, you want to make a million dollars or, or you want to be a millionaire getting in the horse business. We'll start with 10 million. Yeah. Then you'll be a millionaire. <laughs> if you want to because, make a million in a horse business, start with 10. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like auto. They say that with auto racing too. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Cause yeah. it really is. I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, they're expensive to, to, to first get acquire, but then they got to eat, they got to sleep, they got to train, they got to do all that stuff, which is all expenses until they actually right. win something. And then, you know, and some people just don't even get involved with the breeding game. The breeding game is really, it's, it's really difficult because like I said, you've got, it's a waiting game and you just got to hope everything goes well. I yeah. mean, we, one of our, the best horse that we, that we've owned classy cowboy, we just retired him. He just, he was seven years old this year and he was slowing down. You could tell. Um, so we, we actually through the farm that we had, that we, we have our horses in Kentucky. There was a, they knew a gal that, um, retrains racehorses, you know, to be like hunter jumpers, show horses, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. so we thought, you know what, we're not going to run cowboy in these bottom level claiming races and have some screwball claim them. And then he's got a horrible life afterwards. So he's done enough for us. Let's retire him. And, and so he's out in South Carolina. Now we sold him and, um, to a gal and she, she's into retraining horses for this but and the fact that he was right off pretty much right off the track he's just kind of hasn't missed a beat and has, has been doing very well but as he he was a baby and he ran through a pasture fence and hmm. we had like three separate throat surgeries on him and we just thought this this horse is not going to make it i mean it's just or it's going to be and he turned out to be our best horse he was indiana hmm. bred and he did very well for us so that was that was a pleasant surprise but <laughs> there have been too wow. many other negative surprises that really kind of he wasn't able to cancel those out by himself. Okay. You mentioned a term. This blew my mind when I learned about this term. I think me and Mike McNally were on a basketball trip and we came and saw one of your horses run. It might've been in California. I can't remember. Uh, but um, claiming races, explain yeah. claiming races to people. This is the most absurd thing I've ever heard of in my life, but <laughs> in your world, it makes sense. So explain them to everybody. Well, basically, you know, not every race is a claiming race. Most of them are though, 
because the lower the lower level you go, let's let's say you're running a horse for thirty five hundred dollars in a claiming race. When you put your horse in that race, you're basically saying this horse is up for sale. Okay, now he's going to be running against depending on the race, but typically he'll be running against other horses that are in a thirty five that are up for thirty five hundred too. And so the the theory is, you know, this is going to be, and it depends on where your horse is in the development, how they're doing their, during their career. But the theory is the lower you run, the easier the competition is going to be because you run in races like the Derby though. I mean, those are stakes races. There's no claiming tags, but, and in California, they have some ridiculous claiming tags you put them in for, but which, which makes the races tougher. So 10, I think it's typically 10 minutes before the race. If somebody is looking at your horse and wants to put a claim in, that claim has to be put in 10 minutes prior to the race going off. And then there's a cutoff. So basically, once that claim is put in, and typically you don't know until after the race if your horse has been claimed. Once the claim is put in, that's their horse, whether it wins or loses. Now you get if you if the horse wins, the old owner still gets the money, but it's it's kind of yeah, it's kind of cruel because the new that groom happens. comes out when we, walks. Do you walks remember that? Whole, huh? Do you remember that when when McNall and I went to that race? It was, I think it was in Northern California sometime. Yeah, like it was at Golden 10, Gate Fields. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember that race? Oh yeah, that happened to you guys. I, I don't no, know if your horse won or not, but but you no, guys got a horse. You guys got a horse she, claimed. You've had that happen, right? Um. Yes, we have. But we you didn't explain there. it to me. I was I was pretty sure you got your horse got claimed up there. Was that not right? No, I don't. No, I don't think so. No, because we had. But it was baby, a claiming race. It was a claiming race, and I was explaining it to you guys, and your your jaws hit the floor. You're like, what? What in the world? But you've had that happen, is? right? Where your horse. So so you go into it. You love this horse. You put your whole heart and soul into it. Yeah. This horse does well. Maybe even wins play shows, and you're so excited. And then you get what a call and notification. Everybody goes, hey, congrats! Here's your money. You don't own this horse anymore. Well, it was, it was at Churchill Downs and we had a horse called Earl's girl. Now we, we didn't, we brought her, we bought her at a sale. She was an Arizona bread. We bought her at a sale when she was a baby and she, you know, she didn't really, she really, she kind of went through the sale and didn't, and didn't, and wasn't sold at all, but we were looking at her pedigree and we liked what we saw. So we bought her privately. Well, she turned out to be a pretty decent horse, you know, for, I mean, physically she wasn't, the most talented, but she tried real hard and she, um, she did very well for us. Well, we ran her at Keeneland, which is in Lexington. One of the, one of the posh racetracks. In fact, they just had the breeders cup there this past year or just earlier this month. And she ran, we had her in for, um, I think it was 10,000 there, $10,000 claiming race. And she ran second and we're Mm. just like, Oh my gosh. Well, somebody else, was obviously watching that too because then we we t- sent her to churchill downs we raced her there the next race and she and we put her in for 10 and she got taken and she she didn't win though she didn't do anything and i was just it was the trainer that called because you usually talk to the trainer after the race he's like they took her i'm like they what yeah they took they claimed her so that was it well i was just a, <laughs> i was a mess after i just was just like Cause this horse was really just, you know, we named her after Cindy's dad and Earl's girl. And it just, yeah. Oh, it was horrible. So then you're seeing her running at these different tracks 
just not not doing well. And so then we're just like, well, we got to let's let's claim her back so we can just retire her. So she's not, you know, so then we put we put in a claim. This is kind of a long story. Probably people aren't interested in it, but we put in a claim. She was running in Iowa. I think it was we put in a claim for her there where, well, she bled during the race, which mm. is which means and horses do that. They're put on Lasix mm -hmm. as an anti bleeding medication, which now they're trying to outlaw because oh, you're medicating the horses, but now it makes things worse for the horses because then if they're, if they're bleeders and what it has something to do with the lungs, they, they run, exert themselves so much that, you know, they, they just start to bleed and it can come out of their nostrils. So, so we put the claim in, so we're ready to have her. Well, Iowa, this particular racetrack had a rule that unless you check a box that says, we're going to claim her no matter what, well, she bled and we didn't have the box checked. So she bled. And so the, that basically the, the on-site track veterinarian said this claim is void. That's how they protect pe people from putting a claim mm -hmm. in on a horse. That's maybe got some problems injured or something. Yeah. yeah. So the claim got voided. So then we couldn't get, so then we had to do it again. And it was just, uh, the whole thing was just gut wrenching. It was awful. And well, you can see my hair, man. It's all gray. I mean, it never used to be like this. <laughs> Did you get her? We finally got her back. Yeah, we got her back and we we had her at the farm in Kentucky. And then um, then there was a, uh, a a farm also in Kentucky that re retrained, like I was mentioning before, retrained yeah. thoroughbreds. So we sent her there and she got adopted. We're not really sure where she ended up. Yeah. And th this particular place we weren't that thrilled with because some some of them let you know where they go and they put you in touch with the new owner so you can keep track of them. This one didn't. But she was such a great horse. I'm sure she found a great home because she was just so well-mannered and and yeah. um, just really easy to get along with and, and would just basically do whatever you, you told so, her. So to restate, to. to restate a claiming race, yeah, sorry about the that. equivalent would be <clears throat> that Michael Jordan sinks a shot to win the NBA title and he's celebrating and somebody goes up to Reinsdorf and goes, oh yeah, uh, the Lakers bought him for $10 million. So he doesn't play for you anymore. Yeah. That would be <laughs> the equivalent. Yeah. If you put Michael Jordan for a tag, which you wouldn't, do that if you made him do claim, <laughs> if, if that was a way to do claiming races or like some young i guess the more equivalent would be like some some double a kid you know right who who okay you got to play him in these anyway i i number one think that's insane i can't imagine what that feels like to have because it's not your property you you love these horses right like it's not yeah. like it's a property to you if you're really in it for the right reason well yeah but some people just some people play the claiming game they don't care yeah and they'll just they'll run horses in like we had one of our trainers We'll just, we'll just ram her at, at, you know, you know, ram them right at them. In other words, we're going to, we're going to get aggressive, put it for a low tag and we're going to, and, and she's going to, she or he's going to be better than the rest of this field. And we're going to win easy. And so you win happens. the money. Sometimes it doesn't though. You win the money and, and sometimes nobody claims them. Somebody, sometimes nobody puts a claim in. Yeah. So, but it's, yeah, yeah. people look at different things. And um, <laughs> I think this trainer too, that we used, Sometimes they'll, um, I mean, the game is, is so deceitful. It's just, <laughs> well, they, they, here's you, the thing you could, too. You don't have one trainer for Philip racing. That guy trains for other people too. Oh yeah. And so if right. they have a better relationship or can make more money or whatever it might be, they could be like, Hey, you should claim Earl's girl. She's running really well. I mean, that, that, I'm you sure can that play happens. that game. I'm, yeah. I'm sure it's probably illegal or it's definitely immoral, but yeah, I don't know well, if they get in trouble for it or you could prove it even. Yeah, there's some stuff that's illegal in horse racing, but 
not enough as far as I'm concerned. But <laughs> anyway, this this particular trainer, if he didn't want a horse claimed, he'd throw some bandages on the horse before the race. Because you're walking around the paddock area, getting them warmed, kind of getting them warmed up before the jockey gets on. And people, that's the last chance people have a t- opportunity to look at the horse if they're going to claim her or not. And claim the horse or not. And like I said, it's got to be 10 minutes before race time. So that's genius. Yeah. So usually the jockey gets on about eight minutes. So after that, then the bandages will come off. Yeah, the horse is fine. <laughs> it you was know. that was that trainer's last name, Belichick. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no. That's genius. It's within Belichick. the rules. Oh, it's there's all really... kinds of stuff that people do, man. Yeah. So uh, so how would crazy. you classify Philip Racing now? Active, yeah. active race team. I mean, you still have you still running, you mainly have retired horses. What do you what do you got going on? Uh, we're pretty much we're pretty much on our way out of the business. Yeah. Gotcha. How many if horses we to, do you own now? Well, we have the one that that it's on turnout, and then we have the three retirees. So we've got four. So you got four that you own. And and, and so like the retirees, I mean, the only way to really stop having the expenses for them is to sell them, right? And I mean, would you do that or do you just like having the having the horses because you had them and well, we've there's a there's a sanctuary in Iowa called Unbridled Spirits Thoroughbred Sanctuary, and I don't remember how I came upon them, but it was almost like we've got to start finding homes for these horses. And if we if I would have had to do it all over again, we wouldn't have got involved with breeding. Number one and number <laughs> yeah. two, um, horses have more value as far as being able to do a second job or having a new career if they're just off the track. If you've got mm. horses that haven't been under saddle for years or even a couple years, it's tough to retrain them to get a rider back on them. Cause they're like, Oh, I'm not taking a rider. Forget yeah, it. I'm you done know? with so, this. So they don't. So that's in that way. That's why it's good to just retire them, especially if they're sound, meaning if they're, if they're healthy, they've got no leg issues or whatever. Um, retiring them and then sending them off off to a, a a place like New Vocations, which is a which is a, um, a rehoming or kind of a training facility that trains retired racehorses to do other jobs. Um, but anyway, back to the sanctuary, we've got quite a few of our horses there, and so um, you know I don't want to we don't want to overwhelm them with our horses. We've we've sent several over there already, but probably two of the retirees are going to go over there hmm. this um, this year by the end of the year. We, we gotta, that's basically they're just out there being horses right right just but then the, the nice the thing life. see where they're at right now they're at a farm they're at a real nice farm in in uh, paris kentucky which is great um they've done a great job and there's plenty of um room to roam for them and stuff but at unbridled spirits they have a lot more interaction with people hmm. and i think that's really and some horses really really thrive on that just because they're you know they're they're human interaction they you know they have tours they have different um classes and stuff where they work with students and that kind of thing. And so it's, it's just, it's just better. And then, and then plus, you know, we, once we, we will donate them and then we'll usually cover their expenses for their, yeah. for their first year there, but then they're off, they're off our books and we're not paying for them anymore, but then we continue to donate to unbridled spirits and, and so forth. So, yeah, but so, so anyway, we're, we're reaching the end of the line and, and that's, <laughs> that's fine with that's me. Good. Yeah. So, so many times when people have a real interest or a love for something as a hobby or as a fan, you know, they get a chance to get involved in it and they see like the, uh, the dirty underbelly of, of everything yeah. in it. And then they like, I hate this sport. I mean, where are you at with like the sport of horse racing? Do you still like to watch and turn it on and follow it? Or are you like, Ugh, I'm done with this stuff? 
Well, you know, like we before we started today, there was there was a horse that was running that um, was is the baby of one of the horses that, that we used to uh, for one of our trainers that we used to have. And so running a turf paradise. So, you know, I keep an eye on it, but Cindy mostly still follows it more closely than I do. But when it comes to watching horse racing in general or like the big races, nah, not really into it. I mean, they're all we call them the blue bloods, you know. They're all just, that's kind of their little playground and they go out there and like, <laughs> for instance, in the Breeders' Cup Classic, this horse called Flightline that was just destroying the competition in every race that he ran. Well, he runs in the Breeders' Cup Classic and he wins by like eight or nine lengths and he's only four. And the day after, day or two after the two days later, they just announced Flightline's been retired for stud duty, four years old. And now he's going to study, but that's where all the money's made. And you know how much they charge per mare to cover, um, for, for him to cover hmm. $200,000. Wow. And how, how much, how many can they, how many times can they do that? Just, I mean, is it just, I mean, they can just, Oh, they can go, just, he, he can be, he can be bred to about maybe 20, 30 mares. And now, now granted the, the price isn't the, the, the fee usually isn't, isn't owed until the baby is born. It's standing and nursing off gotcha. the, off the mom. Then, then, you know, now that I don't know what they're, we've never dealt with that, that kind of level at all. So yeah. they might take a certain amount up front. Yeah. You know, just to make sure you're, you're good for it. And, but yeah, 200 grand. And that's typically that that's probably the high watermark. Um, for the American Pharaoh was another one who won the triple crown. He was going for 200,000. So for making money, it's, it's get a horse, get it to win a couple of big races, get popular, get famous, show that it, it's a stud and then put it out to stud as quick as possible. Yeah. And, and it's not it's, try to win, you know, three more years of races or whatever. Well, you're, you're, you're basically, you're, you're rolling the dice because, and with this particular horse, I would never breed, even if I had that kind of money. I would never breed to flight line because he only ran six times. So you have no idea from an endurance standpoint or a long-term health standpoint. I mean, he might've had some problems. I mean, they ran the heck out of that horse. And if, as far as obviously training him hard and stuff for him to do what he was doing was just otherworldly. And then you can look at where they kind of, then they had this horse on jet fuel or whatever. They give these, some of these horses, you know, because they're yeah. just, for him to beat the quality of competition that he did as badly as he did, you kind of have to look at it and go, Hmm, okay, this yeah. just doesn't happen. This is just not, it's not that easy. And, um, I don't care what, what kind of horse you have. So, and again, if you're getting into, if you're going to have a stallion, you're going to breed a stallion. Number one, they have to have a, they have to have done pretty well. And a lot of, you know, a lot of times you don't, you, you would geld a horse or castrate a horse. If, if the horse is, you know, too studdish having behavior mm -hmm. issues, or sometimes they're too big down there and it kind of affects their running. So you've got to gel them from that standpoint. So then you basically have, you, you, you basically can't breed the horse then, but you got to just win races. You just got to win races. And then you, yeah. and typically like with classy cowboy, he was a gelding and then he just went and went and did another job. Obviously he's not yeah. going to be doing any breeding. So. Yeah. yeah. All right, Darren, closing up shop here in the next like five, six minutes. You got to get that greatest horse of all time. Can't be. I have to yours. say, I have to say, Secretariat. 
You sent me a clip yeah, of that seen. on on uh, on uh, an Instagram of winning. Was that the Belmont when Secretary won that? And it, yeah. it, they were they were tied like about three quarters away. Then he started start. She starts stretching out, and then it was amazing. Like everybody was just like standing still. It was a. I think he won by thirty one lengths. I think it was crazy. And that was crazy. the final race. That was the final. That was the the, the last yeah. race of the Triple Crown. Well, and he had more too. He had more. He. I mean, the guy was like standing up on him almost. It was like okay. Yeah. Well, he was kind of, you know, how the, the, the jockeys, when they're way ahead like that, and this yeah. other jockey and fly, they, they don't look over their shoulder because it affects their, you know, so they just mm -hmm. kind of look under their armpit to see where the rest of the competition is. You couldn't see him. Like when they turned that last yeah. corner, it took a good 10 seconds where he could even see anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Before they even, they even. Okay. So better than Seabiscuit? I mean, come on. That's a great movie. Well, it's a great movie, but they made a movie <laughs> about Secretariat too. Well, when Secretariat, after well, he died. Did I didn't see they, that one. Oh, yeah. Diane Lane was in it. Check okay, it out, yeah. Uh, no, I good. remember that. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, but greatest. He, when, uh, go ahead. Sorry. When when Secretary died, when they did his, the the autopsy or whatever, he had his heart was extra big. I mean, he had a, a really really large heart compared, in relatively speaking, with regular racehorses. So, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it because for him to do what he did in that final oh, race was, was pretty crazy. Uh, greatest jockey of all time. Oh gosh. Um, well, I mean, there's a there are a lot of great ones. I mean, there's there's a lot still running now that are which I don't I don't really understand this jockeys that are still playing that are still riding that are in the Hall of Fame. It's like, no, you go, but but jockeys can ride to like their fifty or sixty. Some of these guys, mm. so. I don't know. I just never. How much does a jockey matter? Oh, a lot. Does it? Okay. Oh, yeah. It's always the big thing with the race cars. Like, how much does a driver really matter? Like, they're all at NASCAR. They're all the same car, basically. And then people, uh, NASCAR people right now are going crazy, like, that I just said that. But, <laughs> I mean, if you got secretary, really? Isn't it just like, hold on? And don't screw up? With him? Yeah, probably. Ron Turcott yeah. was his rider. And he was he was a he was Sorry, a good rider. Ron and your family, I'm not I'm not dissing yeah. you at all because I know nothing about this sport but he, or I, what it he, takes. You he would not be considered among the elite riders. Probably is there like you an know, Eddie, like a Willie, Eddie, like a Eddie Willie Arcaro or something or Eddie, Eddie Arcaro was great. Oh, I've never Will, heard that name. Yeah, Willie oh, Shoemaker. Willie, uh, yeah. Willie Shoemaker. We Willie, we Willie Shoemaker. Yeah. yeah. Um. What about Gary? Gary. Uh, Gary Stevens is was great. Mike Smith. Jerry Bailey. I mean, there's yeah yeah. I, I don't know if you can really say there. Oh, which one is the best? Because they all have just been hugely successful careers, and and um, have just you know why Gary Stevens is my favorite? Why is that? Because because he rode Seabiscuit when uh, Toby Maguire couldn't ride him. Oh yeah, in that's that final right. race, he was great in that one. Yeah, when he when he's looking at the guy and he goes he goes hi you so and so <laughs> see you so and so and he hit it. <laughs> yeah. And Stevens can act. I mean, he did very well. He was in that. awesome. He yeah. Was awesome. Yeah. yeah. He's really good. Well, hey, Darren, thanks a lot for joining me on the Pottercast. This is like a whole, this is, this world is like, it's interests me. Not in the, not so much that I would actually spend a lot of time learning about it, but this right. is great to hear you just like, I, I love like things I'm kind of interested in. I like to meet people who know them really well and just go, okay, tell me about that. All right, great. Now I don't have to read a book. I don't have to, <laughs> I, don't yeah. have, I don't have to spend the time learning it, but it's so interesting. I still, I still can't get over you know, the ups and downs of this, it's got to be just, I mean, it's, it's like owning a business, but it's gosh, so much comes into like 
that race, but then every day there's an up and a down and a call from a trainer and a call from this. And it's just gotta be crazy. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, it's, and we never really got into this at all, but when you, when you enter into a race, you're not just entering into any old race, you know, there's different conditions for that race. You know, does your horse go, does your horse go longer or is he a sprinter? Does he prefer the grass that, or the dirt? It, you could enter in a race on the grass and let's say there's a rainstorm and they take the race off the grass. Well, if your horse doesn't like the dirt, you got to scratch, scratch the horse and wait for the next, next race to come along in a couple of weeks. So there's just a lot of variables that come into play and really, really a lot of unknowns and, and, uh, which, which makes it tough to, to really have, you know, any, any kind of long-term success. That's the great, uh, the great Seinfeld episode. He's like, his father was a mother. His mother was a mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Loves to run on the mud. Yeah. Some so. of them do. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Darren. Hey, thanks. And if you want to hear more from Darren, uh, join us for the, uh, the baseball wrap. We'll be doing that again soon. Even though baseball season's over, there'll be some of that coming up, but, uh, thanks a bunch for listening to the Pottercast, and we'll catch you next time.